I love local news stations. I love local papers. You can really get a sense of a community and what's actually happening from local news. When I lived in Washington, D.C., I loved our local TV and our local radio stations. If you are a Washington, D.C. local, there are several things you'll know right off the bat based off of just watching or listening to local news. First of all, it's called D.C., not Washington, D.C. Uh, second of all, taxation without representation is wrong. Uh, third, D.C. is so much more than what happens on Pennsylvania Avenue where the White House is located. Uh, DuPont Circle, great hangout spot. The DMV stands for D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And believe it or not, a 1.5 hour commute one way is normal. Now you can imagine my shock when we moved to Kansas City uh, here in the middle of the country and started to realize how different the local news was here. You, we, we, my wife and I, as we were listening to the radio, heard a lot more stories about farmers and their crops. Uh, we heard significantly more stories of passionate people about their sports teams, especially the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, smaller stories that wouldn't be covered in DC got coverage in Kansas City. Regardless of where you live in the DC metro area, there's a deep pride to being part of Kansas City, which I love. So local news is where it's at. It's a great place to find out more about the actual events happening in a local area. One of my favorite things about local news is getting eyewitness accounts from people in the heat of the moment. People who have probably never been on TV before, uh, they get a chance to share what they saw. Now, some of you might remember this viral clip that happened with a local news station. Uh, I believe this was in Oklahoma of someone recounting an eyewitness account of something that they saw. Let's take a look. One resident describes her horrifying experience when she first realized the complex was on fire. Well, I woke up to go get me a cold pop. And then I thought somebody was barbecuing. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. <laughs> then I ran out. I didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. I ran for my life. And then the smoke got me. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. According to the apartment manager, the fire started in a woman's home who is wheelchair bound. She was treated for smoke inhalation at a local hospital. There were no other reports of injuries. The <laughs> Eyewitnesses can be humorous, but important for us to understand what actually happened. Hi, everybody. My name is Theo Davis. I'm one of the pastors here at Restore, and we're in the middle of a Christmas series called Eyewitness. We're calling it Eyewitness because we're examining uh, the people from the Christmas story who were actual eyewitnesses to one of the most important events in history. Most of the Christmas story accounts are found in the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor and just a very detailed man by trade who wanted to record the events that happened over the last few decades. Listen to his own words echo through history as the book opens. Luke chapter 1 says it like this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. 
having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And also, uh, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke is kind of doing some local news here. Uh, Luke is writing this book or letter to one particular individual. And as a result, his letter ends up getting copied thousands of times and quickly spread throughout the Roman Empire, providing local news for the entire Roman Empire. I guess it's then kind of like national news. I don't know. Anyway, uh, if aspects of his letter weren't true, uh, the letter would have been laughed off and condemned. Because here's the thing. Many people who witnessed these events were still alive. Those people likely read these letters and heard the stories, and they were like, uh, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, I remember seeing that star. Yeah, I remember seeing Jesus do some really crazy stuff when he was an adult. This can give us just a greater level of confidence that these aren't fairy tales or folklore, but the well-documented supernatural events that occurred in the first century. With that as a foundation, let's dive into the third eyewitness account of the Christmas story, The Shepherds. I want to read for you Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version uh, because if you've ever watched uh, Charlie Brown Christmas and you remember that moment where I think it was Linus who reads the Christmas story, this, is what se- this version is, is what's seared into my mind. And I'm sure it'll, uh, it'll bring back warm, fuzzy feelings for those of you who watched uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. But nonetheless, here is the scripture uh, from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. reads like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, uh, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about." So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The eyewitnesses were shepherds. Now, why is that important for this part of the story? Well, shepherds aren't exactly the first group of people you would think to tell big news to. Uh, if, if I start to reflect on this passage of scripture, and I'd love to do like for us here online, whether you're listening or you're watching, I kind of want to do a little bit of a Bible study today. Okay, I want to just, we've read the scripture now. I want to make some observations. What, what can we learn from the scripture? I did a little additional research, but here, here's my first observation. Our social position never qualifies or disqualifies God's interaction. Let me say it again. Our social position never qualifies or disqualifies God's interaction. Have you ever been around sheep? They stink. They don't just smell. They don't just smell. Uh, they are rancid. Uh, they're constantly outside, rolling around in the dirt. If you've ever been to a farm, the smell, whew, it can be overwhelming. Uh, there's nothing like walking onto a farm and just smelling the things they lay on the ground, the liquid that's on the ground. It all mixes together, and you're just kind of like, yep, that's a farm, all right. Now imagine having to herd these animals for days at a time. Some of them getting stuck in ditches and you having to lift them up, rub up against them, uh, pull them out. Your clothes are, are touching them and, uh, and it's brushing against their wet fur and their soiled wool. Being a shepherd can be physically demanding. They had no German shepherds back then, no dogs in the in Israel during this time in the Middle East to round up the sheep. So it was all the men doing this backbreaking work that caused them to be really sweaty men. All of this resulted in shepherds being one of the lowest members of society. Their work caused them to be ceremonially unclean according to Jewish customs. This meant they couldn't go to the temple where everyone else uh, was going to do sacrifices and just kind of talk and meet one another. They were absent from the temple, often weeks at a time. They were smelly, looked down upon social outcasts. And yet, and yet, God chooses the shepherds to be the first people outside of the family of God to hear of the birth of the Messiah, the King of Kings. I love that these lowly lowly shepherds. These people who had no position or power, they had no political office, they had no financial benefits to their lives, they didn't come from a, an amazing family of birth lines, they didn't come from, you know, the Kennedys or the Bushes or whatever that would get them an audience with God. God looked at them and said, these are the ones I want to reveal a special secret to that's going to change the entire world. I love that about this part of the Christmas story. The second observation that we can make from this is that they then went on an inconvenient journey. Most of us don't pause to consider the journey that the shepherds then had to go on. 
These shepherds had a decision to make. You see, do they just sit and marvel at the fact angels had come to visit them and kind of keep it among themselves, keep it to themselves like, oh my goodness, like I'm not very much, I'm just a shepherd, but God visited us. He told us this really cool thing. We got to see angels and they were singing and it's awesome. And I'm just going to keep this to myself. I'm just going to kind of tuck it away and hide it. And it's just going to be my little personal relationship with God. No, they, they, they didn't keep it to themselves, and they didn't just sit there with it. They decided, hmm, maybe we should actually go and find this child. Now, they were watching sheep. Oh, what do they take? I, I, always, I always wonder to myself, like, do, did they end up taking the sheep with them, or... The, did they find someone to watch the sheep and then they went to Bethlehem to see Jesus and then come back and relieve the person who watched the sheep? I don't know. I couldn't find any like historical evidence of this. I don't want to break your perception of the nativity scene where there's the shepherds with their sheep and all that stuff. So let's just say they took the sheep with them. And because they took the sheep with them, uh, it, took, it made their journey significantly more difficult. It made it take significantly longer. And although scripture doesn't say this directly, I wonder, I wonder if they began reflecting on passages of scripture that foretold the coming of the Messiah. Likely many of these shepherds had grown up near the temple or, or by the temple, and they, they were familiar with some of these key passages of scripture. I, I think of Micah chapter 5, verse uh, uh, verse 2, which says this, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. <sighs> as, this, as this baby is born, and as these shepherds are journeying to Bethlehem, they remember this, this passage of scripture and they wonder, my goodness, are we about to witness a miracle? Are we truly living in the time that the Messiah is coming? The angel told us that a savior had been born. That's a level above ruler. Uh, it, it reminds me of the scripture of Isaiah 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, which says, For to us a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of peace. Yeah, this, this journey was inconvenient, but the results confirmed they weren't all just hallucinating. They had indeed found a family nursing their newborn son in Bethlehem in a dirty, filthy manger. Nothing like the sanitized and beautified nativity scenes we see today, but it didn't matter. It was true. A baby had been born in a manger. He is the Messiah they have been waiting for their entire lives. The last observation that we could probably make from this passage is this. 
after experiencing Jesus for themselves, they began to tell others. Now, I don't want you to miss this very perplexing part of the story. Let me read it for you again. Luke chapter 5, verse 2, starting in verse 15. It says this, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had, uh, what had, been, told to, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. Did you catch the perplexing thing? They didn't run off and tell everyone they knew that they just saw angels in the sky singing massive chorus on this, uh, on this cold, cold night. No. They went to investigate what the angels had told them. It was only after seeing Jesus laying in a dirty stable which in and of itself was a sight you would never see because babies don't get born in stables. That's that's so odd. That's like saying uh, a baby was born in a quick trip. You don't go to quick trip, which is a gas station here in a convenience store here in the Midwest. You don't go to a convenience store to have a baby. That's the last place you would expect to see a baby. Likewise, you don't expect to see a baby in this location. But seeing Jesus is what inspired them to then go and tell everyone that they saw what had happened. They were amazed. So, what do you and I do with this part of the Christmas story? What do you and I do with this eyewitness account 2,000 plus years later? How does this impact our lives as we're heading into this really busy Christmas season? I think this, God often reaches out to us when we are faithful during the repetitive and mundane parts of our lives. Think about it. God often reaches out to us when we are faithful during the repetitive and mundane parts of our lives. Have you ever noticed this about God? I mean, think about it. Moses was being a shepherd tending to his flock when he noticed a burning bush, a, a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't, it wasn't burning up, and he went to investigate, and that kicked into gear a series of events that would free the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. When he spoke to Samuel, a future prophet, uh, Samuel was getting ready to go to bed after a long day of work in the tabernacle, and God spoke to him. David was just a shepherd boy tending a flock, when he was anointed to be king. Nehemiah was working as a cupbearer when he felt moved by God to speak to the king. Matthew, a disciple, was collecting taxes when Jesus came and spoke to him. Peter was cleaning the nets of his uh, uh, was cleaning the nets after fishing when Jesus spoke to him. All of these people were just being faithful in the repetitive and mundane parts of their lives when God chose to speak to them. How often, really, how often 
Does God try and get your attention? Are you listening? Are you spiritually aware? If God did try to reach out to you, would you be able to recognize his voice in the midst of the chaos? Something most people who hear from God have in common is that they aren't hurried. Every minute of every day isn't packed to the brim with stuff. Do you, yes, yes, you, listening, watching right now, do you have downtime? Is your life balanced enough to hear from God if he were trying to speak to you either directly through his word or through others? See, I've, I've been in a season of busyness myself, and that's unavoidable at times, but it should only be a season. I'm working hard to rebalance my life, uh, to say no to great opportunities, to say yes to quiet moments with my wife, to say yes to chaotic moments with my kids, to say yes to giving myself space and time to meditate, to talk to God about all the things. Hurry and busy are the enemies of a peaceful life as you walk with God. I, wanna, I really want to dig in here for a moment because I think it's really important for, for some of us who are watching or listening right now. You might be in a cycle of hurry and busyness, unable to hear from God if, let me, let me give you a couple of examples. If you haven't had more than five minutes straight of prayer with God in the last month, you might be in a cycle of hurry and busyness. If you haven't been bored in a long time, you might be in a cycle of hurry and busyness. If you're dating or married and you haven't sat down and just had a fulfilling conversation with your partner about life for more than an hour, you might be in a cycle of busyness. If you're, an, if you're a parent and you haven't had a spiritual conversation with your kids or your grandkids in over a month, you might be in a cycle of busyness. If your job is taking over your personal time and your thought life for more than a few weeks, regardless of the reason, you might be in a cycle of hurry and busyness. If you haven't practiced a day of rest once a week for over 30 days, the Sabbath, you might be in a cycle of hurry and busyness. If any of these describe you, you might not be in a rhythm where you can hear from God. If you want to hear from God, we must take control of our lives and choose to say yes to the right things and say no to the wrong things. Sometimes the wrong things look like the right things. Bottom line, we need to create space where God can speak. What, what are you doing to create that space? What rhythms of your life have you created that are mundane enough that God can, the Holy Spirit can whisper in your ear about that friend, that coworker? Have, can you slow down enough and take a moment to meditate before the Lord? Take a moment to pray and speak out your, your praise and your thanks. To ask your requests. 
so that you can hear from God because I believe he wants to speak to all of us. The second thing I think we can learn from this passage of scripture is this. What, what do you need to investigate before you start telling everyone? What do you specifically need to investigate before you start telling everyone? The shepherds, like though they were likely uneducated, they did some investigating before they started telling everyone about Jesus and what they experienced. What do you need to investigate? What's been holding you back from telling other people about Jesus? See, there are many Christians that would say they follow Jesus, but they haven't told a soul that they follow. In our American culture, we, uh, man, in our American culture, we tend to turn our commitment to God just into a deeply personal thing. So personal, in fact, that we don't bring it up in everyday conversation. We don't tell others about the life change we have experienced because there might be so much we don't know or understand about our own faith. Maybe we're even afraid that if we investigate our faith, we would uncover that it's just a house of cards that would collapse at the smallest poke. Friends, I want to implore you right now, and I want to inspire you to investigate. I want you to ask the questions that have been holding you back. I want you to read. I want you to watch. I want you to find spiritual sages in your life to ask some of these questions to have conversations with people smarter than you. While you may not find all the answers you're looking for, you'll strengthen your faith and in turn have more confidence to share Jesus with others. That is exactly what the shepherds did. They went, they investigated, and as a result, they began sharing with others. What do you need to investigate? What is that roadblock for you? What is that barrier for you that you don't want to look like a fool, that you don't want to look <clears throat> like you're following something blindly? We should never blindly follow things. Uh, but there's more than enough evidence in scripture through archaeology that support the fact that Jesus is who he said he is, that Jesus, yes, indeed existed. He died on a cross. And yes, that he rose again three days later. What do you need to investigate to turn being a Christian from just the religious tag that's on maybe your social media profile to being what inspires you to live every moment of every day? Friends, my prayer for you this Christmas season is that you don't keep it to yourself, that you take this message, this joy that you found, this joy that maybe you're just striving for, that you find ways to rest in the mundane parts of life, to enjoy and share life with your friends and family, to have a rhythm of of spiritual practices so that you can hear from God and then share that peace and that joy with others. My prayer for you is that this Christmas season will be a season of peace and joy, not one of hurry and busyness. Let's pray.